So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Super excited to have author, Stanford lecturer, uh, extraordinary writer of amazing books, uh, Nir Ayal. This book right here for my friends that are watching or listening, the book is How Do We Become Indistractable? Um, Nir, is that even possible for people? Like, could we actually live a distraction-free life? Is that what you're proposing here? Well, if you asked me five years ago, I would say no, uh, that uh, technology was addicting everyone and distracting everybody and hijacking our brains. And let me tell you, I've really changed my mind on this problem. I think anyone of sound mind So in the book, you talk about these four steps, and, and I like things simple. One, two, three, four is about the max for most people. Um, let's just dive right into it. What are the four steps for someone to become indistractable? Yeah, so let me, let me just kind of set the stage just a, for Please. a moment so that we understand what, what is distraction? What does that word even mean? Well, the best way to understand what distraction is is to understand what distraction is not. Yes. So the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. They both come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And both words, notice uh, they end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do, things that you do with intent. The opposite of traction is distraction, anything that pulls you away from what you plan to do, anything that you are not doing with intent. So this is really important for two reasons. Number one, anything can be a distraction, okay? If you sit down at your desk and you say, now I'm gonna work on that big project, I'm gonna do what I said I'm gonna do, I'm not gonna get distracted, here I go, I'm gonna do what I said I'm gonna do, but first let me check email, you just got distracted, right? I'm looking at my whole team right now as you said that, it was like, yep, guilty. Exactly, and we, and we see here's the thing, distraction is tricky. Distraction yeah. tricks us into prioritizing the urgent at the expense of the important. And we, we believe it, right? We, we were suckers. We say, oh, email, that's a kind of a worky thing to do. That's a productive task. But here's the thing. It's more pernicious than checking Facebook or watching a, a YouTube video or playing a video game. Because when you do those things, it's pretty clear you're slacking off. But if you check email, instead of working on that big project, now distraction has tricked you. It's made you think that what you're working on is important. And really, it is just as much of a distraction as playing a video game. So just like anything can be a distraction, I argue anything can be traction if you plan for it, if it's part of your values, if it's what you do on your schedule rather than some app makers or somebody else's schedule. So there's nothing wrong with going on Facebook or scrolling Slack channels or uh, watching YouTube videos. That stuff is great as long as you do it according to your values and your schedule, not someone else's. So you can kind of visualize in your head this timeline. To the right, we have traction. To the left, we have distraction. Now we have to ask ourselves, what drives us towards traction or distraction, we have two types of triggers. 
We have external triggers. These are all the pings, the dings, the rings, all of these things in our outside environment that can lead us towards traction or distraction. And that's what people tend to blame, right? They tend to blame the things outside of themselves. But that actually turns out to be just one source of distraction. The number one cause of distraction, most distraction does not start from outside of us. Most of it starts from within. And these are called internal triggers. Internal triggers are responses to uncomfortable emotional states. And this is really, really important because if we want to answer this age old question that by the way, Plato asked 2,500 years before the iPhone, Plato was talking about distraction. He called it acrasia, the tendency that we have to do things against our better interests. And so if we want to understand why do we get distracted, we have to start one layer deeper. We have to ask ourselves, why do we do anything and everything? What's the nature of human motivation? And most people will tell you it's some version of carrots and sticks, right? This is called Freud's pleasure principle. It's yeah. about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. But if you look neurologically, if you dig a layer deeper, we are not motivated by the pursuit of pleasure and the, and the avoidance of pain. That's not true. Only one thing drives you to do everything you do in life. Everything you do, you do for one reason only. And that is the desire to escape discomfort right? Even the pursuit of pleasurable sensations, wanting, craving, desire, lusting. There's a reason we say love hurts. All of these things are psychologically destabilizing. Of course, this makes perfect sense physiologically. If you think about, you know, when you go outside and it's too cold, well, that's not comfortable. So you put on a jacket. If you come back inside, now it's too hot, you take it off. If you uh, are hungry, you feel hunger pangs. So you eat. And if you eat too much, oh, now you feel stuffed, you stop eating. So this is called the homeostatic response, and this is how the body gets us to do things physiologically. Now, the same truth holds constant when it comes to psychological responses. For example, if you're feeling lonely, check Facebook. If you're uncertain, before you scan your brain, you Google it. If you are bored, check ESPN, check the news, look at uh, uh, Pinterest, uh, Reddit. All of these products and services cater to these uncomfortable emotional triggers because we seek to escape from that discomfort. So what this means, Tom, the real lesson here is that if all human behavior is prompted by a desire to escape discomfort, that therefore means that time management is pain management. That out of all the life hacks that you might utilize, all the gurus techniques out there, none of them work if we don't fundamentally understand the root cause of distraction is our desire to escape discomfort. Time management is pain management. And so now we have a framework to understand the strategy, not just the tactics. Tactics are what you do, strategy is why you do it. Now we can finally understand the strategy behind how do we become indistractable. Step number one, we master those internal triggers. Step number two, we make time for traction. Number three, we hack back the external triggers. And finally, we prevent distraction with packs. And when we use these four steps in concert, this is how we become indistractable. So you're going through the four steps one more time. Sure. So step number one is to master the internal triggers so that when we feel these uncomfortable emotional states, we have tools in our toolkit to make sure that we are led towards healthy traction versus harmful distraction. That's step number one. How do you do that? I mean, that's the, the, the $64,000 question. Like everybody has internal triggers. Everybody deals with discomfort, the loneliness, isolated, just not happy. It's too cold outside. How do we master that? Yeah. So the first step is to stop blaming other stuff. 
right? So most people, when it comes to distraction, we have what we call the blamers and we have the shamers. And I actually started in this category. Most people, they'll, they'll kind of go from being a blamer to a shamer. So a blamer says, it's this stuff outside of me. It's Facebook's fault. It's my iPhone's fault. It's email's fault. So we blame stuff outside ourselves. That's why we're so distracted. The world is so crazy these days. All these technologies are doing it to us. But of course, that's not productive because you can't change that stuff, right? These things aren't going away. This is, this is part of the modern world. So that doesn't make any sense. The other thing that we do, they, that a lot of people do, what they, they, we call being a shamer. A shamer says, oh, it's my fault, right? I, there must be something wrong with me. I'm easily distracted. I have a short attention span. I'm, maybe I'm not cut out for this work. I'm lazy. You see, I have a tendency towards getting distracted. It's who I am. They shame themselves. And of course, that makes the problem worse because what do we do when we feel shame? We feel more pain. And the more pain we are in, the more desperate we are to escape that discomfort and get distracted with something to take our mind off that discomfort. So that doesn't work either. So we don't want to be a blamer. We don't want to be a shamer. We want to be what we call a claimer. A claimer claims responsibility not for their feelings. You cannot control your emotions. You cannot control how you feel. You can only control how you respond, which is where the word responsibility comes from, how you respond to that discomfort so that it leads you towards healthy traction rather than harmful distraction. So the first section of the book, Mastering Internal Triggers, is all about how do you do that? I give you strategies. All of them are backed by good science. I hate these self-help books that are full of personal anecdotes. You know, I take a shower at 4 a.m. at freezing water, so you should too. Show me the science. That's not good enough for me. You know, I taught at Stanford University. I want to see everything reviewed by a peer-reviewed study. There's 20 pages of citations in the book. So I show you research-backed tactics for how to master those internal triggers so they're not mastering you. So give us like just two examples. I think everyone listening right now near has, has dealt with this internal issue. And I like how you sort of phrased it or, or sort of, you know, blamers and shamers, because that pretty much summarizes most people on the planet. And then a small percentage of us that, that just take 100% responsibility for what's going on in the world. It's easy to say that it, it was battle tested for decades to actually own that and become it. What are, what are just one or two things that we can do to start claiming our responsibility? Sure, okay. So uh, there's three big tactics. Number one is to reimagine the trigger, see the trigger differently. Mm -hmm. Number two is reimagine the task. And number three is reimagine your temperament. So this is just strategy number one, subheading three, right? There's yeah. three different subheadings. Yeah. So let me just give you one technique that you could use right now, a technique that you could use today the next time you are tempted to get distracted, whether it's by that piece of chocolate cake you know you shouldn't eat, whether it's by that cigarette you know you shouldn't smoke, whether it's by email or Slack channel or whatever it is that you find you're going to get distracted by, here's what you do. Now, what most people do is that they proclaim abstinence. You probably heard this around. There's some gurus out there who will tell you, stop using technology for 30 days. Go on a 30-day digital detox. You know, th these plans, they don't work. And they don't work for the same reason that fad diets don't work. You know, I used to be clinically obese and I would go on these fad diets, 30 days, no sugar, 30 days, no this, 30 days, no that. What happened on day 31? You know what happens on day 31. <laughs> you eat like crazy because you haven't dealt with the root cause of the problem and given yourself techniques to deal with that discomfort. I didn't overeat because I was hungry. I overate because I was eating my feelings. When I felt bored, I ate. When I felt sh ashamed of how much I ate, I would eat, right? That's where, that's the same exact reason why we get distracted by one thing or another. 
So instead of strict abstinence, instead of telling ourselves, no, don't do it, what we wanna have is tools in our toolkit to help us cope with that discomfort in a healthier manner. So here's one technique that I use almost every single day. It's called the 10 minute rule. And this comes from acceptance and commitment therapy. I didn't make this up, I can't take credit for it. It's been around for decades, well-studied technique. And the 10 minute rule says that strict abstinence tends to not work. And, and here's why. I'm gonna ask you, Tom, to not do something that you have not done all day long. Okay, so how hard can it be? You haven't done it all day, but for the next couple seconds, what I want you to do is to not, with all your might, do not think about a white bear. Don't do it. What are you thinking about, Tom? I see nothing but white bears, polar bears to be, yeah, yeah. So when we tell ourselves, don't check email, don't give into that cookie, don't, 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 what this does, it actually acts like a rubber band. When you pull on a rubber band, you pull, 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 finally you can't pull anymore. And when you release, that rubber band doesn't go back where it started, it ricochets across the room, right? Yeah. And so this is how distraction works. When we finally give in to that distraction, we are reinforcing the very behavior we're trying not to do because that relief of discomfort, remember all human behavior is prompted by a desire to escape discomfort. The relief of discomfort we register as pleasure. Ah, I can finally give in. So we don't wanna do that. What we wanna do instead is called the 10 minute rule. Here's how the 10 minute rule works. When you are about to get distracted, when you feel like, uh-oh, I'm about to go check Google or the news or whatever, when I really know I need to be working on a big project or I'm tempted to eat that chocolate cake, whatever the thing is that you're trying to get distracted from, what I want you to do instead is to tell yourself, I can give in to that distraction in only 10 minutes, okay? In 10 minutes, I can give in to that distraction. Now, for those 10 minutes, I want you to either do one of two things, either you can get back to that task at hand. You can get back to that big project and get back to whatever it is you wanted to do. Or your job is to do what's called surfing the urge. Surfing the urge is like riding that uncomfortable sensation, riding that internal trigger with curiosity rather than contempt, like a surfer on a surfboard. Yeah. So your job is to just sit there. Sometimes I'll take out my phone. I'll say, set a timer for 10 minutes. And in those 10 minutes, my job is to just be with that sensation under try and ask myself, talk to myself the way I would talk to a good friend with self-compassion and to ask myself, what is that source of the discomfort? Where does the loneliness, uncertainty, fatigue, stress come from? And what you will find is that these sensations crest and then subside, just like a, a wave. And so your job is to ride that wave like a surfer on a surfboard. And what you will find is by the time that clock runs out and those 10 minutes are up, nine times out of 10, you will be back at that task at hand because these urges, these internal triggers, they're just like waves. They just come and go. And so if you can learn to ride out those sensations, this is one way to make sure you master them as opposed to letting them master you. I love it. I love it. The 10 minute rule. So we talked about the four and we, we really dove deeply into number one, which is mastering the internal triggers. Let's go back to number two, three, and four. And I want to, I want to do the same deep dive on each one of these because really this is like you're, you're basically giving them the book right now which I, I appreciate in, a, in an interview podcast format that you're going deep versus just a whole bunch of ideas. So what's number two? Yeah, and by the way, you know, I, I would love to give as much as I possibly can. Unfortunately, we don't have a ton of time. So just to, for, for sake yeah. of context, it's more important that you understand the strategies, the four yes. big strategies than the little tactics. The tactics I come agree. and go. The strategy is what's more important, the four big steps. And even in the one step that we went a little deeper on with mastering the internal trigger, there's a whole lot we didn't cover. There's yes. that, we only talked about one out of three big strategies, a lot more there. But for the sake of time, let's go on to strategy number two, which is to make time for traction. 
So we talked about the opposite between traction and distraction. So here's what I want you to remember, that you cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. Let me say that again. You cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So if you have a bunch of white space in your calendar, everything is a distraction, yeah. right? You're not going to just suddenly spontaneously write that novel or start that side hustle or spend quality time with your family or go on that workout. It's not going to happen unless you make time for it. And so what I talk about in the book is the tyranny of the to-do list. Many people don't realize how the to-do list is literally backfiring. I talk about how behavior change is identity change. And so we have to be very careful about how we see ourselves. And so here's why the to-do list for most people doesn't work. Not that to-do list can't work, but the way most people use it doesn't work. Here's what most people do. This is exactly what I used to do. I, you know, I read all these books that told you that to get things done, you gotta keep to-do lists, right? That's what we've all been told. And I would have this beautiful to-do list of everything I wanted to do today, and I'd have a very productive day and I'd only accomplish about half my to-dos. And then at the end of the day, I'd look at these to-dos and I'd say, well, I didn't get everything done. I guess I have to recycle them from the next day to the next day to the next day. And that seems like no big deal, but here's what happens. Over time, day after day, week after week, month after month, you are reinforcing your identity that you are incapable of doing what you said you were going to do. You said you were gonna do these things and you didn't do them yet again, loser. And that feeling sucks. It's a terrible monkey on your back. And so what you want to do instead of these to-do lists and letting these to-do lists cause you to reinforce the self-image that you cannot live with personal integrity, instead what you want to do is to keep what we call a time box calendar. Time boxing has been found in thousands of studies to be an incredibly effective technique. And what you need to do is to simply decide for yourself what you want to do for that given period of time and your only metric of success should be, did you work on that task for that set period of time without distraction? That's it. Not did you get the job done, not can I check it off my to-do list, but did I do what I said I was going to do for as long as I said without distraction? And it turns out people who use that technique actually work faster and they get more done than the people who just keep the to-do list. The other big benefit of having a time box calendar, and I'll give you a link in the show notes. I built this free tool. Anybody can use. It's totally free. You don't have to sign up for anything. I don't need your email or anything. It's just a, a tool to get you started to help you with this time boxing technique. One of the most amazing things that happens once you keep a time box calendar is that you can use this technique that I call schedule syncing. Here's how schedule syncing works. When you have a weekly time box calendar, you sit down with your boss, you can also do this with your, your domestic partner, your wife, your husband, your significant other. You can sit down with them, the, the important people in your life. You sit down with your boss and you say, hey boss, here's my schedule for the week ahead. Here's where I put time for all my priorities. Now you see this other list of things? Here's the things that I won't have time for because you can clearly see on my schedule what I've time boxed. Now, the reason this is so powerful is that it, get, it helps us escape from this awful trope. I'm sure you've heard it a million times, that if you wanna have a focused work life, you have to learn how to say no. Give me a break. You're gonna look at the person who cuts your checks and you're gonna tell them no? That's ridiculous advice. Instead, don't be the one who says no. You make your boss be the one who says no. So when you show your boss, your manager, hey, here's the things I won't have time for, help me reprioritize given what I have on my weekly schedule, that schedule sync process is magical. It takes 15 minutes a week. 
it will revolutionize your work life and your home life for that matter. Your boss will worship the, the ground you walk on because very few managers have any idea how their employees are spending their time. An incredibly effective technique to help us make time for traction. Hey, it's Tom Ferry. Question, what's your favorite social media platform? Are you big on Insta? Do you love to tweet? No matter where you answer, I'd love for you to connect with me there. All you gotta do is just type in at Tom Ferry and follow and let's you and I connect. I wanna be able to deliver the right content, the right ideas, the ways to help you grow your business, stay fired up, keep moving, be in action and run plays that work in the platform that matters most to you. So subscribe and I'll see you there soon. Yeah, I love it. Could you also speak to, so I think about this, the section of the book where you talk about getting to inbox zero. Yeah, yeah, sure. Right? Like, is this something I should be time, time boxing, time blocking, or is that just a myth? Yeah. So the third part of how to become indistractable is learning how to hack back the external triggers. So we talked about earlier, the external triggers, the pings, the dings, the rings, all of these things in our environment that lead us towards traction or distraction. One of the greatest sources of distraction, the, the number one source when it comes to digital devices was email, okay? Number two was group chat, Slack chat. Uh, the number one source of distraction that people kept griping about is good old email, not a new technology, but an incredible source of distraction. Why? Because it puts us into this reactive work mode, right? All of those pings and dings means we're constantly reacting and we have no time for reflection. So it turns out that time studies have shown that two activities, two activities account for everything but an hour and a half in the average knowledge worker's day, email and meetings. Email and meetings take up- Nir, hold on. Say that again, man. Say it, this, we gotta drive this one home. Yeah, so if you took out email and meetings in the average knowledge worker's day, they would only have an hour and a half to do everything else that they need to get done. And that doesn't include bathroom breaks, that doesn't include schmoozing, that doesn't include anything else you're doing, only an hour and a half to do everything else you need to do, which means we know where real work gets done. It doesn't get done at work, it gets done after work. And so your health, your relationships, your kids, they pay the price for all that time that's spent outside of work doing your work. And so what we have to do is to learn how to be more efficient with email. And so email is just one of eight different environments that I go through. I tell you how to hack back your phone, hack back your uh, desktop, hack back meetings. Oh my God, how much time do we spend in pointless meetings? How to hack back the open floor plan office. So a lot of environments we can hack back and make sure that we can remove these harmful external triggers. But let's dive into email real quick because everybody has problems with email. Actually, Nir, I want you to do email and cell phones. Okay, sure, we can definitely do that. So let's do email first. So this, here's what, here's what we have to realize with email. When we do time studies, on where people waste time with email, it's not the checking, it's not the replying. Where we waste time on emails is the rechecking. That's where we waste a lot of time on email. Here's what this looks like. You get a message, you open it, you read it, you put it away. You read a message, you open it, you read it, you put it away. You get a message, you open it, you read it, put it away. That checking and rechecking and rechecking is where we waste time. So here is the technique that will save you hours and hours every week on, on uh, email. First, you have to understand some email math, okay? If you want to spend less time on email, you have to reduce the number of messages you receive every week and the time you spend per each message, okay? This is a formula I just talk about in the book, TNT, total number time 
equals number of emails times the time spent per email, TNT. And I like TNT because it shows you how email can blow up a perfectly wonderful day uh, is, is by, through this methodology. So let's talk about the time that we spend per email. You know, one of the rules is if you want to reduce the number of emails you receive, you have to reduce the number of emails you send in a given period of time. This seems like common sense. People have a big problem with this because what they do is they let their email be their to-do box, right? So everything that comes in, they feel like they have to instantly reply to. So we get stuck playing this stupid ping pong game back and forth, wasting hours and hours of time. So here's what you're gonna do. From now on, when you get an email, I want you to ask yourself one question. The only question that matters from a time management perspective is not even what's in the email. The only question I want you to ask yourself is when does this email need a reply, okay? When you open that message, answer one question, when does this email need a reply? Not the subject matter, that's not important. When does it need a reply? Based on that answer, that email is gonna fall into a few different categories. If it's junk, it never needs a reply, just delete it. If it needs a reply right away, oh my God, house on fire, you need to call, you need to do something right away, that's a you know, small percentage, maybe a single digit percentage of emails, fine, reply to it. 99% of your emails are gonna fall into one of two buckets. Emails that need a reply today and emails that need a reply sometime this week. And what I want you to do is to label each email by one of those two categories, okay? So for me in my inbox, yellow is today, red, I'm sorry, uh, yellow is this week, red is today. Now, in your time box calendar, I want you to have time in your calendar for me, it's about an hour a day when I only reply to emails that need to be replied to today, okay? Only the urgent emails for today. That's gonna to be about 20% of your emails actually do need a reply today. Then I want you to make time in your calendar. For me, I call it message Mondays when I have a three and a half hour block of time when I flush through all of those emails that can be replied to sometime this week. Now you're saying to yourself, that's it? What's the big idea, right? I have to reply to all those emails eventually, don't I? Here's where the magic happens. When you let emails simmer based on how, they need a, how quickly they need a reply, a magical thing happens. About half of those emails, studies find, don't need a reply if you let them wait. How does that happen? People figure out their own issues. They get crushed under the weight of some other priority. And it turns out all that stuff that we get caught in this ping pong game, replying back and forth and back and forth, didn't really need your reply. So by labeling emails by how urgent they are and then only answering those emails in that time box on your calendar, you're doing many wonderful things. One, you are turning an otherwise distraction, right? How many of us check email because we're feeling anxious or uncertain or stressed, or we don't know what to do next. We check email impulsively out of habit, and this takes us out of doing our, our hard reactive, uh, sorry, re reflective work. And it, it turns out that you are much better at replying to those emails. You're much faster at replying to those emails when you can do them in one swoop. So label each email by when it needs a reply, have that time box in your calendar to reply to today's emails, and then a long period of time for those weekly emails, this will dramatically reduce the amount of time you spend on emails every week. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, what do you think about the individual who is, like, I think about a lot of our clients near, they are busy, they're on the go, maybe they've got an assistant, the assistant could be texting them something that, that maybe their numbers are more skewed. Maybe they are 70% need a response today and 30% 
you know, hey, could you look at this marketing piece and let me know in the next couple of days if it's, if it's good to go, right? Because they're, they're not solo entrepreneurs, though some of them are. Many of them are these small teams. They're managing lots of real estate transactions, loans, uh, people's needs, what, you know, whatever it may be. Everything feels like it needs to be responded to today. And sometimes it does. What do you say to that person? The key word is feels. Exactly. <laughs> right? It's about the feels. Yes. It's not about reality. And this is what kills businesses. Responding to the urgent at the expense of the important. It's amazing. You know, I do many workshops where hundreds of people sit into my class. And I always ask them this question. I say, how many of you, raise your hands, if you need time in your day to think, if your job requires time for thinking, every hand goes up in the room, right? And then I say, well, how many of you have time in your day to think? How many of you have made an appointment and keep that promise to yourself? Let's say one of your, you know, let, let, let's say an athletic hero called you up or, uh, you know, somebody you really admire, an entertainer called you, Beyonce, I don't know, somebody calls you up uh, and says, I really want to meet with you. Would you keep that appointment with them? Absolutely. But how many of you keep that time with yourself for strategizing, for thinking, for planning ahead? maybe one or two hands go up in the room. Yeah. So it's fine if your business is mostly reactive work, right? Many jobs are 100% reactive. If you work in a call center, your job is to wait for the phone to ring, you pick up the call, you answer the call, you put the phone down, that's all you do all day. You are 100% reactive, right? But almost nobody listening to me today has a 100% call center type job. You have some balance of reactive work and reflective work, but most people, they let the reactive work crowd out all the reflection. And so they're running around like crazy without any planning, without any strategizing, because they haven't made that time in their day. So I don't care if it's 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever that amount of time is, you've got to protect that time because you know what's gonna happen if you don't. If you don't plan your day, somebody's gonna plan it for you. I love it, I love it. So, so again, the goal is to become indistractable. And you said there's four sort of primary strategies. Number one is you got to master the internal triggers. And I truly feel like near, we could spend three hours just on that. Uh, no doubt. And number two is you got to make time for traction, right? Which I love that conversation so much. The work that we do with our clients is around planning, organizing, um, creating systems and processes, duplicating yourself, right? So it's not always you. Uh, and then number three, hack back the external triggers and we just had a, a wonderful conversation there. What's number four? Right, so number four is the backstop. It's the fail safe. And this is called preventing distraction with pacts. And this is what we do after we've done the other three. So after we have the tactics to master the internal triggers, that's the linchpin. You have to understand yeah. the feelings, the fears, the uncertainties, the stress that drives you to do things you later regret. That has to be step one. Then we make time for traction. Then we hack back the external triggers. When all else fails, we need a backstop to prevent us as the final last resort to make sure we don't get distracted. How do we do that? We make what's called a pact, and pacts have been around for a very long time. There are three types of pacts. The first is called an effort pact. An effort pact is when we put some bit of friction in between us and something we don't wanna do. So let me give you a good example. In my household, my wife and I were finding that night after night, we were going to bed later and later. Okay, and this was in, uh, affecting our sleep. Uh, it was affecting our sex life, to be honest. We've been married for 18 years, and we found that night after night we were going to bed, she was caressing her iPad, and I was fondling my iPhone. So that was taking an impact uh, at all on my marriage. 
And so what we decided was we are going to do something about this. We did the other techniques, but as a fail safe, we went to the hardware store and we bought ourselves this $10 outlet timer. Now this outlet timer, you plug it into the wall and whatever you plug into the outlet timer will turn on and off at a set period of time of day or night. So every night in my household at 10 PM, my internet router shuts off. Now, oh, could I turn I it back that. on? Of course, of course I could turn it back on. I go underneath my desk, I could fiddle with it, I could unplug it, replug it, right? I could do that, but I've inserted some bit of friction, some bit of effort yes. to prevent myself from doing something I don't wanna do, right? After now doing this for a few years, I, we actually don't even need it anymore. We all know that, oh, internet's gonna shut off at 10 p.m., get ready for bed, and now we get as much sleep as, as we need because we schedule that time. So this is that fail safe to prevent us from doing something we don't wanna do with an effort pact. The second type of pact is called a price pact. A price pact is when you have some kind of financial disincentive to being distracted. Um, so there's many ways that you can do this. This actually came out of a, the, the most effective smoking cessation study in history was when people put up some skin in the game, when people put some, some money down that said that they could only get that money back if they stopped smoking. And if it's as effective with nicotine, something that we think of as so addictive, it's very, very effective with things like distraction as well. And the third technique I wanna to touch on real quick, this is probably the most impactful of the three. This is called an identity pact. An identity pact comes from the psychology of religion. We know that when people have some kind of moniker, okay, some kind of identity that they use to describe themselves, they become much more likely to stay on track because behavior change is identity change. So when someone says that they are a devout Muslim or a practicing Christian or uh, even a vegetarian, that makes them much more likely to stay on task, right? So a vegetarian doesn't wake up in the morning and say, oh, you know what? I wonder if I want some bacon for breakfast. No, a vegetarian does not eat meat. That is just who they are. So this is why the book is called Indistractable because this is your new moniker. Even if you don't read the book, now that you know the four strategies, you can call yourself indistractable. You can be the kind of person who strives to live with personal integrity. And let me just tell you a quick story to illustrate this point. So I remember when I was growing up, uh, I was growing up in the early 80s, and I remember that in my household, we had ashtrays in my living room. Now my parents didn't smoke, and yet we had ashtrays in our living room, why? Because back in the early 80s, I know people who don't remember this, this time will think this is crazy, but this is really what used to happen. People just expected to come to your house, and if they were smokers, they just expected to smoke in your living room. It was rude if you didn't have an ashtray. Every family in America had ashtrays, even if they didn't smoke. Why? So, and what changed? Was it a law? Did, did somebody ban, you know, ban smoking in your private residence? No, there's never been a law that says you can't smoke in someone's house. What changed was the norms, the manners, the identity with which we call ourselves. So here's what happened in my household. One day, somebody came over, my, my mom's friend, and, my, and this person was a smoker, and they took out their pack of cigarettes and was about to light up a cigarette. And my mother said, oh, we are actually non-smokers. If you'd like to smoke, would you be so kind as to go outside? <gasps> oh my goodness, this lady got so offended that my mom asked her to go outside. And of course today, can you imagine if someone just smoked in your living room? That would be incredibly rude, right? So it took people like my mother to say, we are non-smokers. And it takes people like us to say, we are indistractable, right? That we do things that are a little bit different, okay? We use some techniques that maybe other people don't use that they think is a little strange. But is it any more strange than someone who wears unusual religious garb or someone who has unusual diet? No, this is what it takes. It takes a movement of people who say, my time, my attention, my life is controlled by me, 
not by other people. I am indistractable. And so that's what making these pacts, these promises to ourselves is all about. Nir, I got to tell you, I'm really excited about this. And I know the listeners that are listening, uh, there's just been so many great nuggets here. The thing that keeps going back through my head is that first one, like blame, shame, or claim. And the thing that I get out of all of this is just keep claiming that you are indistractable, right? You, if you just start there, right? We become what we think about. It's Earl Nightingale from, it's biblical, right? It's been around forever. Um, so as we wrap up, I want to tell all my friends, hey, absolutely check out this book. Uh, Near any other sort of final sort of closing thoughts? Because there's been just a ton to unpack here. No, no, no pun intended on packs. <laughs> There's, there is a lot. And we've just, you know, we just touched the, the tip of the iceberg. I spent five years on this book and I, I really wrote it for me because I really struggled with distraction. And so I just wanted a solution for me. And I, what I was so, you know, what, what was so annoying is that so much of the advice out there, not only does it not work, many of it actually backfires. There's a lot of yeah. stuff in the book. It's full of overturning apple carts. Uh, and, and so I really wrote the book for me. And so I hope it impacts other people's lives as well. I think if there's one message I want to leave people with, it's, you know, if you wanted to summarize the book in a nutshell, it's, it's this mantra that the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. All of these distractions are a problem of impulsiveness. It's doing something right now to make ourselves feel good, to make ourselves pacify these uncomfortable sensations, but something we later regret, whether it's, oh, I don't feel like making those sales calls or, oh, I, let me just check email real quick or whatever it is. We don't do what we say we're going to do because of these uncomfortable sensations, because of this, this problem of impulsiveness. But we have something that no other animal on the face of the earth has. We have this amazing ability to see into the future. We have forethought. We can predict what is going to happen better than any other animal. So if you leave these decisions, to the last minute, if you depend on willpower and self-control, that stuff doesn't work. If you wait till the chocolate cake is on the fork, you're gonna eat it. If you wait till the cigarette's in your hand, you're gonna smoke it. If you sleep next to your cell phone every night, of course it's gonna be the first thing you reach for in the morning. And so the antidote is forethought. It's planning ahead. It's not willpower, it's not self-control. It's about having a system in place that helps you become indistractable. You're speaking my language, brother. I love this, man. So, hey, I will see you in the city soon. Big shout out to Todd Herman, who made this introduction. And, uh, Nir, thank you again so much for the time today and for all the terrific insights. Uh, hey, where can they find you? I'm, I'm assuming uh, I'm following you on Instagram, but it's not uh, Nir Ayal. What is your Instagram handle? Yeah, on Instagram, it's N-E-Y-A-L-9-9. But that's... my blog is at nearandfar.com. But Nir is spelled like my first name. So that's N-I-R-andfar.com. If you go to Nir and Far, there's actually an 80-page workbook that's complimentary. Yes. Uh, that's at nearandfar.com. It'll help you along this journey to becoming indistractable, whether you you buy the book or not but if you do end up getting the book i want to make sure all your listeners know tom that if you do get the book make sure you keep your order number whether you get it on amazon or at your local bookseller go to indistractable.com and if you if you enter in your order number you will get access to a free video course totally free if you enter in that order number and that is at indistractable.com Love it. Strongly recommend it, guys, especially for all of us out there that are running small teams, large teams, or just, hey, working with your family who are now just sitting at dinner all day long on this device. Uh, what a great project for the new year and for a better 2020. So, Nir, thanks again, my friend. I'll see you in the city soon. And for all my listeners, you know I love you. I appreciate you. Can't wait to read the comments and your thoughts. And definitely share this with a friend or two. See you guys soon. 
If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.